Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand a little more about how the other side thinks. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition and the Skyway Community. The Skyway Community gives you context from former contracting officers, just-in-time training in the government market, and consulting to solve your unique puzzles. Visit AskSkyway.com to learn more and to see if you're a fit. The topic today is a couple of pesky clauses that can really trip you up if you're not paying attention to the finances. Let's get started. You're awarded a contract with a government worth a million dollars. It's a guaranteed million dollars, right? Well, I have to give you that contracting officer answer. It depends. Because I think we've talked about incremental funding. And if you have a cost-type contract, and in some cases, if you have a fixed price contract, a fixed value contract, the government can incrementally fund using quotes on that. And incrementally fund means that they're giving you the money in piecemeal. So in that case, you have to pay attention to the contract funding amount as well as the value that's on the face of the contract. Right. And this is such a confusing issue that Christy Gilbert on our team actually wrote a blog post about the difference between obligated amount and face value. If you're on our email list, you got the email from her a few weeks ago. But the bottom line is when you're using incremental funding and you don't understand it, the, what the contract is worth can be unclear at best and then totally wrong from your perspective at worst. Okay, we're not just talking about incremental funding here. This is actually about limitations in the contract besides the contract value. We're going to be talking about that, but also about how funding affects that. There's three clauses at play here. Limitation of costs, limitation of funds, and then there's a bonus, limitation of government obligation. Let's start by talking about the limitation of cost clause. This is FAR 52-232-20. And this applies when you have a fully funded cost reimbursable contract and cost reimbursable any type, cost plus award fee, cost plus fixed fee, just cost reimbursable. But if it's fully funded, this clause is in your contract. And fully funded means just what it sounds like. The contract value and the amount of funding applied to it equal each other. So the way cost contracts work, before you start, you estimate how much you think it's going to cost to complete the work. And the government, after some negotiation possibly, agrees that that's the estimated cost. And that's the amount, that's the contract value that's put onto the contract. Then the government provides funding to that. And fully funded means they've funded that entire project. Now, if it's divided up into CLINs, they've fully funded each separate CLIN. And remember that funding is not necessarily movable between CLINs, neither is, is value. But I don't want to get into that right now. That's a whole different rabbit hole. So the clause requires you to notify the contracting officer when one of two different thresholds is reached. Yeah, so the first one is when you realize your total costs incurred, and I'm going to read here because it's funny, when you realize your total costs incurred will exceed 75% of the contract's estimated costs within the next 60 days. So you got this million-dollar contract. When you realize that you have, you're going to have spent – $750,000 within the next 60 days, sometime in the next 60 days, you'll cross over that $750,000 line, which is 75% of the estimated cost of the million-dollar contract. Let me take a breath after that one. <laughs> you, you notify the government. And you tell them, hey, we're going to hit 75% of the contract value. So the other threshold is if you realize the total cost to complete the entire contract 
will be substantially more or less than what was estimated. So if you're halfway through the contract, if you spent $500,000 and you realize now it's going to cost you $2 million to finish this work instead of the million that you'd estimated before, you need to tell the government. Or if you think that, hey, I'm almost done and I've only spent half the money, I've only spent $500,000, you need to tell the government. Which, by the way, that's I never had that happen, <laughs> but it could, right? It could. So industry has to notify the contracting officer. The important part is the reason you have to notify them is the government is not obligated to reimburse you for costs in excess of that contract value or, you know, again, if there's a bunch of different CLINs, might be not, not be required to reimburse you for costs in excess of, a, of an individual CLINs value. The other side is the contractor is not obligated to complete the work if it requires incurring costs in excess of that current contract value. Unless they get notified by the CO in writing that the ceiling has been increased to account for additional costs. Yeah, and we'll get into why that's so important in a minute. But the big takeaway here for me is that the contractor can get stuck between the contracting officer saying, here's the ceiling on the contract, and the customer saying, oh, just keep working. We're going to increase the ceiling on the contract. It's a risky place to be as a contractor trying to perform the work because you want to keep working, but until you get something in writing that says, hey, we've increased the cost of the contract, you can't. <laughs> and so you, you end up being in a, in a decision tree that's really no fun to be in. Yeah, FAR actually says 52232-20F says that, it says that if the CO does increase the estimated cost of the contract, your allowable costs are covered even though you incurred them before that increase was authorized. If the program office, if the customer really wants you to keep working and you decide to take that risk as a contractor and you keep working, those are actually allowable costs if the contracting officer says, okay, we're going to go up. But the risk is the money doesn't show up, so the contracting officer can't increase the cost of the contract, and you just did a bunch of work for nothing. And the other risk of that is that it could take longer to get that mod done, and you could end up just cash flowing, having to wait longer to get that funding. <laughs> Hemorrhaging actually. cash in the meantime. Yeah. Last thing we should say about this clause is the clause as written says that you have to notify when you're going to reach that the thresholds within 60 days. The contracting officer can modify that anywhere between 30 and 90 days notification time. And also the 75% threshold can be modified to be 75 to 85%. So there is a little flexibility. And, and actually, that could be a really big difference because now the difference between telling me what you're going to be doing 90 days from now is really different than telling me what you're going to do 30 days from now. <laughs> right. A different so that, set of estimating skills required. Yeah, exactly. Okay, next clause we're talking about today, limitation of funds, 52-232-22. This is for incrementally funded cost reimbursement contracts. So this is what you were talking about where the government has not – put all of the money on. They're just doling it out a little bit at a time. Limitation of funds is the exact same idea as the limitation of cost clause, except replace costs with funding. There's a couple little nuances between them, but big picture, think about it like you have to notify the government when you're going to reach 75% of the funded amount within the next 60 days. And which means you have one more target to track now. And it's a moving target because each time you get additional funding, that target moves. Whereas before, under, under the fully funded, you had one target, the total cost <laughs> right. of the contract. Now you have moving targets. 
And same as limitation of costs, the government is not obligated to reimburse you for your costs in excess of the current funded amount, and the contractor is not obligated to complete work or incur costs in excess of the current funded amount instead of the cost amount. It's like you're saying, now there's a lower threshold for where the risk occurs. And, and this can be particularly difficult to manage if, say, it's quarterly funding. It can be very frustrating if you're working on something that's a million-dollar contract and your burn rate's $250,000 a quarter. Within a month, think about it. Within a month, you're halfway to that 250000 and you're actually going to fall right into the, the rules of this clause. And so the notifications kind a of – A constant come loop up. of notifications yeah. and incremental yeah. so, funding. So if we understand why, why government contracts take so long, here's one of them, which is another reason to fund them as much as you can. Fully fund the contract. I know, yeah. I know contracts so people are saying, I would love to, but the finance folks won't give me all the money. Anyway, so, so box. get off, get off, step off. I'll step off if you do. <laughs> all right, last clause. Bonus clause for you DFARS people. If you're in the DOD, there's another clause. The, the DFARS clause is 252.232-7007. 7007. That's funny. Yeah, 007. I never saw that before. It's called Limitation of Government's Obligation, and it's often referred to by the acronym LOGO. This one applies to incrementally funded fixed-priced contracts, and it used to be you couldn't incrementally fund any fixed-price contract. Now that wall has been broken down, actually been broken down for a long time. Now you can incrementally fund fixed-price contracts. This is pretty much the same deal. There's, of course – Little nuances involved. It's pretty much the same deal as limitation of costs and funds that we talked about at the FAR level. But this one applies only for DOD and only for incrementally funded fixed price contracts. And there may be plenty of other limitation clauses in the other FAR supplements, but we don't have time to talk about all of those today. Think about an incrementally funded firm fixed price contract says. It's like, I need you. This is really hard to manage as a contractor, which I had no clue of, right? If you're managing a contract, say for a fixed price, say build me this building for five million dollars, fixed price. You have to build it for five million dollars, but I'm only going to give you the money, you know, half a million dollars at a time. Don't screw up your cash flow and don't ever get behind. That's a tough spot to be in. Oh yeah, and you have to tell me instead of being able to manage it however you want, you have to tell me when you've reached certain funding thresholds, and you might not get the money if you've spent more than that and are running into problems. Yeah, this this. This is an interesting clause that I honestly I, I I never noticed it. I don't think I used it that much. I never I definitely never applied it to somebody. But I always fully funded firm fixed price contracts when I could. But but the risk here is that it, applying this to how you run a business. It, 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 no, it's business. complicated on the industry side. It's complicated. So yeah, so swim away from this clause if you can because it's going <laughs> to create headaches on both sides. So anyway, actually, so, so swim that. away from incrementally funding. Fixed price contracts, not the clause. You don't really have a choice with the clause, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, very good point. Just yeah, just just fully fund it, and that way it doesn't apply. Problem solved. So back to specifics about the logo clause. This one says you have to notify the contracting officer at least ninety days prior to the date when you're going to reach eighty five percent of the total funding. Imagine this like uh, like a cell phone contract. You know, say you've got a teenager who uses a whole lot of texts, and, and you don't know how much you're going to need. But the idea is your cell phone carrier says, okay, you got to tell me 90 days ahead of time when you're going to use 85% of the minutes and the texts that are on your plan. And don't forget to include the termination costs if you happen to change carriers. And you got to be sure to tell me when you're going to hit 85% of how many minutes 
are going to be used. That this it's almost an impossible standard. And also tell me how many more minutes you think you'll need before the next period starts, so that I so I can have them ready for you. Even if you have a great estimating system, surprises can still happen. And if you don't have a great estimating system, if you're a small business, for instance, this is a real danger. This is where you you got to learn to estimate quickly. <laughs> Think on your feet and don't mess it up. <laughs> when do these clauses come into play in the acquisition world, in the time zones? These are not acquisition time zone things. These are execution time zone issues. And this is all throughout the performance zone. It really starts in the honeymoon zone. When the contract first starts, you should be talking about how you're going to set up and track the costs and the funding to make sure that you're able to notify in accordance with the clauses. But it's really the entire performance zone. And we talked about how zones kind of blend together. And a great example of something you could be negotiating during the honeymoon zone is that 30, 60, or 90 days. If it says 90, this is something to bring up. Do you need to have 90 or can you do 30? This is something to talk about. That's a great point. Why is this important? Well, I think we've started to touch on that. These clauses pack a serious punch. You may not get paid industry for overruns or performance beyond the funded value in the case of limitations of funds clause if you don't notify the contracting officer when you're supposed to. You may just keep working past that threshold, and the government doesn't have any obligation to pay you past that threshold. And it keeps the contractors aware of their burn rate, right? That's the idea. Under the idea of what gets measured gets done, you're tracking your burn rate. Now, in theory, I mean, most companies, you're already tracking this. Yeah, I hope you are, but yeah. this this but, makes it like there's some ramifications if you don't. Correct. This, is, this codifies the fact that you're telling the government that you know what your burn rate is. Right, because this lets the government plan their funding increments across multiple programs. You know, the government office probably has a portfolio of programs, and by mandating that contractors notify when they've reached a certain percentage of the currently obligated funding, then they can say, oh, wait, we're going to need a little more here earlier than I thought. Oh, a little less over there so I can move money here around. It, it's a planning tool. Specifically on the government side, I was just talking about, it requires contractors to notify in advance, not only of reaching the current funding amount, but requires contractors to notify of potential overruns. Back to that million-dollar contract, if you've spent $500,000 of that and you realize that, wow, we're not going to be able to do this for a million dollars, it's going to cost $2 million to finish it. Right then, when you realize it, you notify the government, they have an opportunity to say, whoa, we might as well just stop now because we don't have another million dollars. We're not going to find it, so let's cut our losses both sides and walk away. Or... The government may say, wow, we really need this done. We understand why it's going to take $2 million. We'll go find another million dollars for you. Hold on right there. Luckily, you told us way in advance of hitting that million-dollar threshold of your contract, so nobody has to stop work and there's no risk. We'll find the other million dollars and be able to fund you or increase the ceiling before you reach that threshold. And this is kind of like a, a required way to, to institute communication because like you just said – Luckily, we had time to go find the money. And I've had that moment happen before where the sooner they tell us we're going to overrun this by half a million because of the following circumstances, the longer we have to go justify that to somebody and go find it. And so that it's really – and I say this because as a contractor performing, your instinct is to go, I don't want to tell them that we're nowhere near what we're going to be able to do. But the sooner you own that, the more effectively – or own the circumstances because it may not even be something you did. It's just you know the conditions change, the market change, whatever. Communicating that sooner is going to allow the government to go find that money more effectively. 
what always got me about this was on big programs, we we're always doing monthly program management reviews with monthly financial reporting requirements. So every month we're talking about and we're showing how much we've spent each month and, and when we're going to exceed certain thresholds. But that is not the notification required by the clause. We actually had a situation where the government said, well, we don't have the funding right now because you didn't notify us in accordance with the clause. And I said, well, every month we submit a financial report that shows you exactly when we're going to cross that threshold. Ah, but it wasn't an official notification per the clause. <laughs> it, wow. and it, it's, it's true. It's, it's, it's a weird thing, but you got to do Got to do a special notification. Don't assume that just because you're submitting reports every month that that's going to trigger them to see that you're beyond the threshold. And, and that's a great example of th- those reports were probably considered program management reports, whereas this is considered a contract management report. It's still typed organization, which a lot of government entities are. They're not talking. <laughs> they may not communicate as well as you think. I, yeah. I wasn't sitting in on every single program meeting. So, yeah, I could see that being a problem. And speaking of stovepiped organizations, the finance office is probably not sitting in on those meetings. So they're not as aware of these reports coming in. So when when the letter comes in that says, hey, we're going to overrun by half a million dollars, they haven't been sitting in on every meeting. Yeah, they may not have. And so this is news to them. So be very careful that information you think is getting to someone is not. Let's move over to the industry side. Why should industry care about these clauses? Because performing for free is known as a loss. If you're performing for free, you're losing money. Right. You need to know when you're at risk and when you're not. And it's also about cash flow. If you are going to reach that funding threshold and the government doesn't have more funding available, you may decide to continue working because you're pretty sure that more incremental funding will be arriving. But if you haven't notified them in advance and it takes them two or three months to fund the contract – you can't actually bill for those costs until the funding arrives. So, ouch, cash flow. Incremental funding, it, it's a convenient way for, for, from an accounting perspective for the government to dole out money, but it, it creates a lot of funding mods. It creates a lot of, of confusion over what's the contract actually worth versus what's actually on it. And this is particularly prevalent when we're in the world of continuing resolutions. I think there's a whole generation of government employees that have never seen the Congress pass a budget on time. So all they've ever seen every year is a continuing resolution where you don't actually have the money at the beginning of the year. Yes, once upon a time, they used to pass a budget. And when the fiscal year started, you had you knew exactly how much money you had. Oh, wow. Get off that soapbox. So what a continuing resolution means is the governments, they haven't decided on a budget. So they're going to. So they only give you part of the money until the budget is decided. And every time they give the agencies part of the money, the agencies can only obligate part of the money. So it creates these incremental funding mods over and over and over. And in years past, we've had multiple continuing resolutions that have required multiple rounds of incremental funding mods. When you multiply that across the whole government, that is a ton of wasted time and energy. And we've talked about what happens on the industry side. Incremental funding mod comes in. All that stuff's got to be entered in the systems and tracked. If you have subcontractors and vendors, it's got to be flowed down to them. Self-licking ice cream cone here. Lots of waste. The other thing is, and I I think we already talked about this, industry, if you don't notify as that clause requires, the government may not have the funds when you need it or may decide not to increase the ceiling of the contract because they're not going to have the funds when they need it. You may have to stop work. Your contract may be over sooner than you thought. You may not get to deliver what you meant to. 
But if you do get to start again, you may have built in an overrun because of the cost of ramping down and ramping back up. You may have to go find the people to do it again, depending on how long you've had to stop waiting for funding. And you still have to deliver according to the contract requirements, despite the disruptions. Sounds fun. (laughs) It sounds great. All right, let's wrap it up. So the two big takeaways for me on the government side is the communication goes both ways here to, to help industry, like you're expecting them to notify you when they're going to hit certain thresholds, right? will also help them understand when the funding may or may not show up. So if the finance office is going to be funding quarterly, let them know that because that's the kind of stuff that I, I would bring up in conversation or they would ask me, you know, when do you think this funding is going to come through? And I didn't understand why they were asking. Well, it's because managing a contract that's, that's, that's uh, funded through an eyedropper is really hard as a contractor. And so the, the, the more communication, the better. Yeah, tell tell industry, tell your contractors if funding's going to come slower than you thought. And then on the industry side, shutdowns are expensive, but the government probably doesn't realize this, as I didn't realize how difficult it was for the start and stop. I, you know that there's an effort involved from a contractor starting and st- or stopping and then starting again, particularly on service contracts because you'll lose people, but even on like you know production contracts. But make sure that you're explaining to them what are the implications of this this not getting funded? And here's the impact to your customer, because that's the part the customer cares about. How am I going to feel this? Yeah. On the government side, a, a lot of times it was just, oh, stop work. Just stop work. Yeah, here's right. a stop work right. letter. So no problem. What do I do with those people? I still have to pay them or I have to fire them. And if I fire them or if I send them off to another program, they're not going to come back to finish this one like we all expect. Yeah, just stopping work, That's it's kind of a myth. So, for example, one of the better buying power rules is try to use more commercial procedures. Well, commercial procedures, if you're in a production facility, when you get out of the production line, you get back in when they say you get back in. <laughs> so if you stop and say, oh, well, stop work, and they pull you off the production line, and they have other 100 other commercial customers who have been in line, and you go, okay, start work again. They're like, dude, you're not going to get in for three months. Yeah. Just saying, it could happen. You know, be be careful what you wish for. So, and again, I didn't see this stuff when I was a contracting officer. Yeah, and I didn't realize the impact at all until I started having to deal with it on the industry side. Yeah, we'll just stop work. <laughs> no, we won't. All right, that's <laughs> enough for today. Talk to you later, Kevin. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. Feel free to join us in the Government Contracting Network group on Facebook. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today.